0: I am Father Kenneth Baker. I am the editor of the Homiletic and Pastoral Review, which is a monthly magazine for the Catholic clergy. I just started my 30th year as editor of that magazine. It goes every month to about half the parishes in the United States. And in that magazine we cover all areas of Catholic teaching, Catholic doctrine, morality, architecture, singing, liturgy, the sacraments, you name it, and we have articles on that. Also, I am a teacher. For years I've been teaching and I also teach courses on the Holy Trinity. So I've been asked by the International Catholic University to present for you the Catholic teaching on the Holy Trinity. I think I'd like to begin by pointing out that the Holy Trinity is the most basic of all the mysteries of the Catholic faith. You have certain mysteries that surround Christ as the God-man. There are mysteries connected with the Holy Spirit. But it's impossible to understand adequately who Jesus Christ is without understanding something about the Holy Trinity. That Jesus is the Word of God. He's the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Likewise, the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Blessed Trinity. He is the principle of sanctification. He's called the soul of the church. But we can only understand who the Holy Trinity is in reference to the Father and the Son. So we have this very difficult concept to grasp that there's only one God. It's the one God of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. But through the revelation of Jesus, we know that in that one God, there is a threeness. There's a community present. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's extremely difficult to adequately understand this. We can never totally understand it. It's an absolute mystery. But Jesus has revealed many things about the Trinity and that is taught by the church. It's contained in the Bible, especially in the New Testament and in the tradition of the church, the teaching of the fathers, the councils of the church, for example, the liturgy of the church, when we make the sign of the cross, we say, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the, the three are mentioned there in one sign, that there's three persons in one God. So the word Trinity, for example, which was invented in the second century by a theologian called Theophilus in Antioch in Asia Minor, he made up the word Trinity, which means three in one. So there are three persons in one God. So this has to do with the majesty of God, and what we want to do is get some kind of insight into the inner life of God. God is a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And our human community, and the human family even, reflects that community in some small way that we find in God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's one thing to believe the faith, like to be able to recite the Apostles' Creed as we do when we say the Rosary, for example. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and so forth. And then you can go beyond that to reflect on it and to understand it a little bit better. It was St. Augustine and others after him who came up with this idea that what theology is, It's faith seeking understanding. So first you have faith. You accept what Jesus tells about himself and about his Father and about the Holy Spirit because of the miracles that he worked and because of the prophecies that he made that were fulfilled and because of his resurrection from the dead and his ascension into heaven. But we can also understand more about that and that's what theology tries to do is to take faith and to pursue it and to understand it more deeply. So, what we're dealing with here in the Trinity is the most basic of all the truths of the Catholic faith is that the inner nature of God is triune. That is, that there are three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, what I propose to do in this course is to present to you what the scriptures have to say about that, what the teaching of the church has to say about it, and what the tradition of the church is. I'm not transmitting to you the ideas that Father Baker has about the Trinity. What I'm trying to do is to present to you what the teaching of the Catholic Church is with regard to the teaching with the Trinity. Now in various ways if you reflect on it, we all manifest our faith in the Trinity and various things we do every week as Catholics. So for example when we make the sign of the cross, uh, when we go to church to take holy water and make the sign of the cross, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's an act of faith in the Trinity. It's one motion in the sign of a cross, but it mentions three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You might think also about baptism, that when you were baptized, you were baptized but in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. As our Lord directed the apostles to do, in the end of St. Matthew's Gospel, 28th chapter, verse 19, to go into the whole world and teach them what I taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we have one God, but there's a threeness in God. And that's what we hope to investigate, is to explain what the Church's teaching is, how the Church can explain that God is both three and one, but it's not a contradiction. We're not saying, for example, that there are three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, although perhaps some Christians might think in those terms that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit refer to three individuals. They refer to three persons, but there's only one nature, there's only one substance in God, there's only one God. Each Mass that we attend is begun by invoking the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What we have here is that each of the three persons possesses the same substance, the same nature. When we have a human person, we have a personality that possesses one nature. And every time you multiply human beings, you multiply the nature. That's not the case in God. That's not the case in God. In God, you have three persons. What we mean by persons the ultimate subject of activity, but only one nature. So in God, there's only one thinking and there's only one willing, even though there are three that do it, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Another indication of the Trinity that might help you is you might think about the prayers of the liturgy. Most of the prayers of the liturgy at Mass are directed to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Although most of them conclude that way, you know, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. So there's another indication of the church's faith in the Holy Trinity as manifested in the liturgy. Now the church uses some very precise words in speaking about the Trinity. I've mentioned some of them already. For example, that the three in God are called persons. The oneness in God is called his substance, or his nature, or his essence. And when you have a spiritual being, You have thinking and willing. You have thinking and willing in every human person. You have the same thing in angels. And likewise in God. What's characteristic of a spiritual being is two internal activities. Thinking and willing. So that's what we have in God. We have thinking and willing in God. But there are three persons that do that. There's only one consciousness in God, as I said, and there's only one will in God. So what I propose to do then is to go through some of these basics to explain how in the church's teaching you get the origin of the Son and the Holy Spirit from the Father. That's called the processions. And then precisely what it is we call the persons in God, those persons we'll see that they're called in Catholic theology, relations. The relation is the one category that we can apply to the three persons does not imply that each of them is a substance, so we don't end up saying, in effect, that there are three gods, three individual gods who operate together in some kind of a moral unity. That's not the teaching of the church at all. Now, over the years, it has kind of surprised me, given the fact that the Trinity is so basic to the Catholic faith, that there are so few sermons preached about the Trinity. I've preached about it on a number of occasions, but every priest has an opportunity to preach on the Trinity every year on the Feast of the Holy Trinity, which comes after Easter. But for some reason, many priests tend to shy away from preaching about the Trinity. Why that is precisely, I don't know. I suspect that the reason is that it's very complex and also there have been many errors in history with regard to the Holy Trinity that perhaps some priests are afraid of falling into heresy or making false statements about the Trinity and therefore they tend to avoid it, to speak about something else rather than preaching about the Holy Trinity. Because it is a complex subject and it's easy to make a mistake. There have been many heresies in the history of the church which I hope to explain to you about so that we understand how those things came about. Now in Catholic theology There are three, what are called, absolute mysteries. The most basic of those is the Holy Trinity. After that comes what's called the Incarnation, God becoming man in Jesus Christ. And the third one is God's grace, divine grace that operates on man's will so that God can influence the will of a human being, your will and mine, to do various things without violating our freedom. This is the relationship between grace and freedom. These things are absolute mysteries. What do I mean by an absolute mystery? Is It doesn't mean just something that's hidden that we don't know and we can find out by more investigation. When you say an absolute mystery, this means that it transcends the ability of the human mind to understand it. The saints in heaven, do they comprehend the Trinity? The answer is no. Or you might say, well, surely the Blessed Virgin Mary understands the Trinity. No, she doesn't. It's infinite. It's beyond the capacity of finite intelligence adequately to comprehend what the nature of the Trinity is. But that doesn't mean we can't know anything about it. We can know lots of things about it because Jesus has revealed it to us. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, there's some hints about the Trinity some hints, some suggestions that we know after the coming of Christ and after the clear revelation of the Trinity by Jesus Christ during his lifetime, which is recorded for us in the four Gospels and then reflected on by Saint Paul in his 14 letters and there's much about it in the Acts of the Apostles and the Catholic epistles that we find in the New Testament. So we can know a lot about it and that's what we propose to do And this course for the International Catholic University is to put down on tape for you what it is that the Catholic Church teaches and has taught from the beginning with regard to the Holy Trinity. When I talk about hints, take for example in Genesis 1.26, God is quoted as saying, Let us make man in our own image and likeness. Now, that's kind of the magisterial we, let us make him. But it's a hint that there's more than one in God. It's just a hint. Whereas in the New Testament, right at the beginning of St. John's Gospel, where you have that magnificent account of the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There he's talking about the second person of the Blessed Trinity who was with the Father from the beginning. He's talking about a personal being who is distinct from the Father, who is divine. So he is a person like the Father, and not the same person as the Father, but a second person. Now, you've all heard of St. Thomas Aquinas and the great work that he did. In his summary of theology, a Summa Theologica, he talks about the Trinity. He has a treatise in there about that, and I hope to relate much of what he says in that. But one scholar reflected on the whole Summa of St. Thomas saying that really what it's all about is how the Trinity, how everything comes from the Trinity through creation and the end of the world, everything goes back to the Trinity. So it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that embraces the totality of reality from the beginning of creation until the second coming of Christ. That is a kind of introduction. I would like to say something about some of the errors that have been embraced by Catholics in the past that have to do with the Holy Trinity. This is the basic material of some of the early councils of the church. We've all heard about Vatican II from 1962 to 1965. Now Vatican II is the 21st council in the history of the church. The very first council was the Council of Nicaea, it's in the area of Turkey, where Istanbul is, we used to be called Constantinople, over in that area, Nicaea, in the year 325. 325. And one of the key actors there was St. Athanasius, who was a great defender of the faith. The council was directed against a priest named Arius. And Arius was a priest who taught that Jesus, who is the Word, is the first creature of God. In other words, he denied the divinity of Christ. So he admitted that Christ was a person, but he was a creature of the Father. That's basically what Arianism is. Arius said there was a time when the Word was not. So the Word is not eternal like the Father. The Word was created by the Father at some point. Then he says, then the Word created matter and created the world And eventually there was another group called Macedonians who said that the Word created the Holy Spirit. So they admit a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but for them only the Father is truly God. The Son and the Holy Spirit are creatures, something like angels or like human beings or something like that. Very lofty, powerful beings, but nevertheless not God, not divine. They are creatures of God this was a very common heresy in the 4th century. And so the first couple of councils in 325 and then the second one in 381, the first council of Constantinople were directed against this particular error. And Saint Athanasius spent a good part of his life fighting against this particular heresy called Arianism. This is called in theology subordinationism. That is that the Son and the Holy Spirit are subordinate to the Father. They are not divine, they are not God. So that's one of the errors that was rejected by the Council of Nicaea. So, out of that we have the Creed. That I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. They go on later to add the fact that He's consubstantial with the Father, or as we say at this Mass and the Creed on Sunday, He's in one in being with the Father. He is out of the substance of the Father. He proceeds from the Father. So that's the way the church responded to the errors of Arius and then what of Macedonius was called the Macedonians who said the same thing about the Holy Spirit. That was countered by the First Council of Constantinople in 381. and That's when they added that I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son and with the Father and the Son, He is worshiped and glorified. There's indications of the personality and the divinity of the Holy Spirit that was brought out in the Second Council of Constantinople I. Now there's another kind of heresy that was very common in the early church that held that there's only one God, like the Old Testament, that's what the Jews believe, that there's a one person in God, the Father, and the Moslems believed the same thing. There were Christians in the early church, many of them were converts from Judaism of the time. They were called Monarchianism. This was called Monarchianism, and some of them held that God the Father adopted Jesus as his son at the baptism in the Jordan by John the Baptist. When the Holy Spirit descends upon him, that's in the third chapter of St. Matthew, verses 16 and 17, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus and he comes up out of the Jordan River and goes off into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting to be tempted by the devil. At that time, God adopted him in a very special way as his adopted son. So that's the error, what's called adoptionism, and that again is a denial of the divinity of Jesus. He's a creature who is adopted into a very special relationship with God. Another form of this that was taught by a priest was called Sabellianism. Now, Sabellius was a priest who said that there's only one person in God and that Jesus is really God the Father and so is the Holy Spirit. Now, this particular error is called modalism. Modalism. These are various modes. In other words, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this type of heresy all stand for the same single person, that is, God the Father, but he manifests himself in different ways. So he manifests himself in an incarnate way in Jesus of Nazareth. So what they're saying in effect is God the Father became man in Jesus of Nazareth, which is kind of hard to reconcile with, as we'll see, many of the statements of Jesus saying that he was sent by the Father, the Father sent me, and how he's related to the Father, my love for the Father, and his praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane and so forth. So, there are a lot of ways to show that that is an erroneous position, but that's called modalism or sabellianism, in which they held, as I said, that there's only one person in God and it's the same person in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So, they deny that there are three persons in one God. That's basically what you have in this kind of what's called monarchianism, Monarch means only one, Monas is a Greek word which means one, so monarchianism means that in God there's only one person and he takes on different characteristics in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit, but he remains only one. So when we say somebody's baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, you're really saying the same name over again, three times. So that's the heresy of monarchism. So. You see how these heresies, the monarchianism errs on the part of the oneness of God, saying that God is absolutely one, and so they deny the Trinity of Persons. Whereas if you get over to the other side of subordinationism, they say, well, there's only one divine person in God, but they admit that the Holy Spirit and Jesus, the Word of God, are also persons, but they're not divine persons. They're highly elevated, lofty individuals, persons, created by God the Father and themselves given the power to create, that is that the word created the world and the universe, but they are not, in the final analysis, God in the same sense that God the Father is God. Now another possibility, the final possibility here, is what's called tritheism, that means three gods. There were those who have held a couple of names of people that are very remote, one was by the name of Rosalind in the 12th century, who was a nominalist, and then Gilbert of Poitiers, also in the 12th century, they apparently held that there are three individual gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each one is a separate substance, and the three of them work together. So for them, they're not consubstantial, they're not all the same being, but the three of them work together in a moral unity. Now what the Catholic faith holds is that there's numerical unity in God. That is, there's only one nature, one substance in God. But, through the revelation of Jesus, there is a threeness in God. And what do we call that threeness? We call that threeness three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But they only have one activity. Every being, no matter what it is, whether it's a horse, or a dog, or a human being, operates through his nature. Nature is the principle of operation. So in God, there's only one nature. So there's only one activity. The creation of the world takes part by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The redemption of the world is effected by all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And likewise, the sanctification of individuals is effected by all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because everything that God does outside of Himself, He does in unity. The three persons work together in that. To wrap this up now for our first session, when you get down to the 16th century Lutheran Luther and Calvin, at first they held the traditional doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but as time went on, many of them abandoned the fact that there are three persons and one God and basically came back to the position of monarchianism or sabellianism that there's one person and it manifests himself in various ways. So I want to conclude then our first session with that of presenting an overview of the church's teaching on the Holy Trinity and with a very brief recount of some of the heresies that the church had to encounter in the early centuries, especially the third and fourth century.